Open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Our reading this morning is 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Father, Paul is beckoning us today to be all that you created us to be, Lord. You've created us as new images. You've taken, taken Adam and you've buried him, and you've raised up a new person that is to look and resemble Jesus Christ. Father, I am so thankful for the power of the gospel that we are no longer what we used to be. Father, I pray today that we will be motivated, that we will strive, that the Spirit of Christ will, will stir our hearts. Stir our hearts to be more like Him. To avail ourselves to what You have given us in Christ. And Father, we pray this for Your glory. We pray this, God, so that Your Christian testimony will shine like a light in northern Utah. God, that You will draw people to Yourself through Your church. That God, that North Valley Bible Church will be like a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. And so, Father, God, take your word and transform our lives. We pray this for Jesus' sake and in his name. Amen. You can be seated. Um, I need to make a, just a few announcements. I, I hate to do that at the beginning of a sermon, but um, if I don't do it right now, I'll forget. And... Um, my wife thinks I'm getting a little bit like our president, so she's got all these cards up here for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, sign up genius. Okay, we've got a lady in our church, uh, Bev, who is in charge of the Operation uh, Christmas Tree, and she does our Christmas child, thank you, <laughs> Christmas tree. <laughs> um, uh, that's, uh, yeah, Joe up here. <laughs> um, what was I saying? 
she does a lot for our church, and, and it's our opportunity now to be a blessing to her. She's had back surgery, so sign up genius is to take her some meals. Talk to Tracy. Um, I want to just uh, welcome our visitors. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to share just a, a, a little bit about you know, why we do an offering and why we do it publicly, because it's, it's different. Every church is different. You know, some churches are, are very um, uh, quiet about it, and they'll, they'll just sort of mention once in a while that there's a box in the back if you want to put in an offering. But it really is a time to worship God. Our giving is a way to, to bring God glory, and, and our offerings are like an aroma to God. It's a sweet-smelling aroma. And in the Old Testament, they brought sacrifices, and they burned those sacrifices on the altar. And then that aroma that smelled and filled the, the tabernacle, filled the temple, it was a well-pleasing aroma to God. And Paul uses that analogy in a letter that he wrote to a church that took up offerings. And that church had opportunities occasionally to send an offering that they would gather to a church planter, a missionary. And Paul starts out that letter to this church, and he says, you know, there was no other church that shared with me concerning giving, except for you only. And then he says, I am persuaded that what God began in you, he's going to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And that church, he said, you are now a part of my testimony. Wherever I go and whatever church I establish and whatever person comes to know Jesus, because of your giving, you are participating in that. And Paul wrote the last chapter to that, that book. It's the church at Philippi. And he says, I rejoice at Lord greatly that now your care for me has flourished once again. They sent him another offering. And he says, I'm rejoicing that, that I got this. I, I'm in a place of dire need. I'm in prison. And Paul says, it's not that I want you to send me money. That, that's not what it's about. And it's not about you putting money into an offering plate. Paul says, I, I can do without. I've learned in all states that whatever... God wants me to do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context of that verse, by the way. It's not being a superhero or being wealthy or rich. I can do everything that God wants me to do. No, Paul says, I can, I can go without food and I can be filled up to the full. Whatever God has for me, I can do it through Christ. He says, nevertheless, you do well to send me this gift. And he says to the Philippians then, he says, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent once and again to my necessities, and I'm not just looking for money in an offering plate, Paul says, but I am looking for fruit that will abound to your account. And when we share our offerings, it goes to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people so that they can turn on the internet or whatever and hear a sermon from North Valley Bible Church, or they can drive by when we have a harvest party and come in and hear the gospel. And, and God uses all these things so that his ministry grows. And Paul says, then it was a sweet-smelling aroma, an accepting sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. And so I'm the participant of another church's gracious giving. In fact, there's many churches that, that supply Tracy and I's needs every month in order that we can be here to preach the gospel and to, to see a church established. And I just want to welcome my pastor, Brian Peterson. He's a pastor of Lebanon Baptist Church, and it's not in Lebanon. It's in Roswell, Georgia, just north of Atlanta. And they have been faithfully supplying 
Tracy and I's needs for almost 25 years, sending us as missionaries. We went to Ireland for 10 years, many of you know that, and now we've been church planning here for almost 13 years. And so their supply to us is the way that we minister to you, and God just keeps multiplying his kingdom that way. And so that's one of the reasons we take up a, a public offering is just so that it's a worship time for God and saying, God, this is our resources. We want this to be used for your glory to expand your kingdom. So just a, a sort of a side note. Um, but this morning, as we're looking at the letter to these Ephesian Christians, it seems though that Paul started this church, well, he did start this church, but many new believers had come into this fellowship whom he didn't know personally. And yet he's rejoicing at what God is doing in gathering people together, Jew and Gentile, bringing them together in one body. And that God is tearing down all these barriers, the law, the covenants, the promises, the traditions. And he's bringing people together in one new entity called the church. And so in three chapters, he describes all that the gospel does. It takes people who were far off, people who were Gentiles, people who were pagan, people had a, who had a completely different religious system and brings them near to religious Jewish people who had an entirely different religious system, but both of them were lost. And he says, you who were far off, and those who were near, now God has brought together in one body, for by one spirit we all have access to God. And it was an amazing thing that Paul was given and entrusted to, this stewardship, he calls it, a divine stewardship. He says, I was least, less than the least of all saints. This stewardship was given to me that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ so that I may, may, might let all men see what is the fellowship of this gospel. And so in chapter 4, he begins to exhort them to walk in a manner worthy of this calling with humility, with meekness, with long suffering with each other, forbearing, putting up with each other, and doing everything in our power, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then Paul kind of has one of those moments that I have where he goes off on a, not a tangent, but he kind of chases a rabbit for a while. But unlike me, Paul remembered where he was going. I forget where in the world I'm going and I start chasing the rabbit. And then, so, and Paul, what Paul does here, so for this long parentheses, he says, if indeed you've heard of my dispensation that, that I should be preaching to the Gentiles, and for this, this long um, episode here for about 16 verses, he talks about this unity. There's one God, one faith, one hope. God's given every one of us, one, uh, everyone in the body, a, a gift so that we could be united together. And God's given us gifted people so that we work together till we all come to the unity of faith. And then in verse 17, he picks it up again where he says, Therefore, I say and testify in the Lord. So he's picking up the idea to walk worthy in the Lord. And the first thing he says, he says, to walk worthy in the Lord, he says, I don't want you walking the way you used to walk. And then he turns to verse 20 and he says, 
but you have not so learned Christ. This is what you used to be. And then he says, now I want you to be all that you can be, that God has created you to be. Now, for a long time, there was a theme song, and some of you folks that are my age will probably remember this, be all that you can be, and join the army. Well, God wants us to be all that we can be. And those commercials would kind of make it really exciting. You know, these guys were jumping out of helicopters and rappelling off of cliffs and skydiving and, and just doing all these exciting things that they'd left their former life. They left what they used to be. They signed up for the army, and now they've got this incredible, wonderful, exciting life. And God has got a life that's more of an adventure than anything you'll ever experience. He is calling you out of darkness. He's calling you out of blindness. He's calling you out of being under the control of the spirit of this age, the child, uh, uh, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, and he's calling us into a life that was created by God, that God recreated you and I through the power of the gospel. And you might be wondering, well, was I really all that bad? Some of you are laughing. <laughs> Some of you say, yes, I, I really, I, I do remember. I do remember it being that bad without Christ. You know, I was saved at a very young age. My wife was saved at a very young age. And so in my memory, I can't really remember a time where I was in darkness, where I was alienated from the life of God. I, I really can't understand or, or picture a time in my life where I was an enemy in my mind by wicked works. Yet, I am acutely aware that I have an old man, that I have an old nature. I am so keenly aware that there is this tension in my life, regardless whether I was this horrible reprobate in my past, if I was this idolatrous pagan that did, did, you know, just lived however I wanted to. You know, I, I didn't go down that road, but that doesn't exclude me. It doesn't exclude me to know what it means to be vain in my thinking. It doesn't exclude me to say, you know what? I know what it's like to follow spiritual darkness. And Paul warns every one of us that this is a very real and present danger. And he starts out with a solemn warning. Look what he says in verse 17. This I say, it's the present tense. And then he says, therefore I testify. It's the Greek word marturia, which means to be a martyr, a solemn witness. So Paul is warning these people, even though you're out of paganism, even though you're no longer alienated from the covenants of Israel, even though you're no longer strangers from the promises, all these things are yours in Christ. I want to warn you. I want to solemnly testify. Don't walk like you used to walk. Don't think like you used to think. Don't talk like you used to talk. Don't be the old man that you know is hiding under the corner or behind the corner, under the bed, ready to jump out. And it's not the boogeyman, it's the old Patrick Cross that I need to be aware of. He is very real. And so Paul begins by warning these people. Now let's look at the condition. He uses three passive verbs here. 
they're participles, but they're, they're passive in the sense that they gradually happen in your life at a point of time, and before you know it, these things will take you over if you're not on your spiritual vigilance. But we are not what we used to be. Well, let's see what we used to be. He says, don't walk like the former Gentile life that you once had. And the first thing he says is in the futility of your mind. The second thing he says, being alienated from the life of God. And the third thing he says in verse 19, who being past feeling. What a description of the potential that sin and darkness have in your life. They numb your spiritual senses down, don't they? The other night, um, Tracy pulled up this thing on her Facebook, and I don't know what it was, but it was kind of funny at first. It was these husbands, you know, and, and they like to jump out and scare their wives. And, it, you know, and we, we thought it was kind of humorous. But the longer we listened to it, the more abrasive and the more it began to grate on our spirit. And we shut it off. And I didn't realize how foul the mouth of the unbeliever is. And I don't think people wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm just going to have a potty mouth. I'm just going to have a mouth that sounds like a sewer. And I don't think these people realize how they sound today. I think they're totally oblivious to it. Why? Because they followed the futility of their minds, their hearts have been darkened, and they've become dull. And those foul words no longer mean anything to them. The other night, my son, Brendan, was watching this movie, and him and his buddy, and after about five minutes, they both turned it off and went downtown, and I was so proud of them. Didn't say anything to them, but the language was so vile. I mean, it, it was, it was a, a rated movie that, that, that should have been good for their age, but everything in our culture seems like it's permeated with vileness and darkness and desensitizing sin. We are so numb to it because our entire society has bought into this futility of the mind and we have to be ever vigilant as a believer that I don't want to be what I used to be. The futility of the mind in Greek culture really had the idea of idolatry, paganism, this worshiping of creatures and creation rather than the creator. Now, like I said, this doesn't just happen overnight. This is a gradual process. And it says in Romans that man from his birth is inclined toward rebellion against God. That's who we are. Ephesians says that we were children of wrath by nature. That's who we are naturally. But that doesn't mean that we have a total inability to understand that there's a God. That doesn't mean that we have a total inability to understand between right and wrong. Because all we have to do is look at creation. All we have to do is look at our conscience. Even if you're an unbeliever, your conscience will one day accuse you before God. All of creation will one day say that you are without 
excuse. And so Paul says that the pagans who have followed this path, he says in Romans one twenty one, he says, although they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, nor were they thankful, but they became what? They became futile. They became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, how can that happen to you and I? I think it happens in very, very subtle ways. I don't want to be what I used to be. And what I used to be, it wasn't this horrible reprobate, but it was a man that followed idolatry. Whenever you replace the first love in your life, which should be Jesus Christ, you've replaced it with something else. And that thing becomes an idol. And don't be what you used to be. And then he goes on in verse 19, or verse 18, having their understanding darkened, being alienated. Notice, notice these passive verbs, being alienated, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. Who? Being past feeling. Those are things that, that happen in a moment in time and then they just continue to grow. Having their understanding darkened. This is a condition that begins with rejecting light. That's what Paul is talking about here. You are rejecting light, having the understanding darkened. Jesus warned people about the light that they did have and not using the light that was available to them and how they would go into greater darkness. Jesus told a parable. He says, the light of the body is the eye. Your perception of the world, the way that you view the world in life. How do you view it? Do you view it with a God-centeredness? And he says, if you do, your whole body then is full of light. He says, but if your soul is full of darkness, the, the way that you look out, he says, then how great is that darkness? So the warning is very, very real. Romans 2.15 says that every one of us has been given a conscience to know light, to know right and wrong, to have a moral uh, bent toward life. Even the atheist who rejects the knowledge of God despises it when you tell that person that there is no moral absolutes in their life. That's the reality of atheism, yet they reject it because they know in their heart of hearts that certain things just are wrong. Well, where did that come from? Well, God planted in their hearts, didn't he? In fact, it tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 30, he says, they knew the righteous judgments of God, and those who practice those things, he says, you condemn them, and yet you do the same things. And he says, therefore, you are without excuse. The unbeliever who goes down this path is without excuse because his conscience bears witness with him. And you and I are without excuse. Being alienated from the life of God, the very life that, that, that is well and good and pleasing, we're alienated from it when we follow this path. And this is where we used to be. Now, you might not be in absolute rebellion against God in your own heart and your mind, but you are alienated from it, and that's where we used to be. 
And we're not that anymore. We're no longer in the vanity of our mind. We're no longer with understanding darkened. We're no longer alienated from God. In fact, these believers were alienated and strangers. They were without God. They were without Christ. And they were without hope. But we're no longer what we used to be. In Romans chapter 1, he goes on, Paul does, to say that this leads to further and further distancing our life from fellowship with God. Men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What may be known of God is manifested in man, for God has shown it to man. Professing themselves to be wise, they become fools and they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And Thank God we're not what we used to be. We're not where we were. And Paul warns us, no longer walk in the pattern that we used to walk. Now, why, do we do, do, why did we do that and why do others do it? Paul gives us two because clauses, doesn't he, right here? So let's read them together. The first one in verse 18 says, because of the ignorance that is in them. And the second one is because of the blindness of their heart. The blindness of their heart and the ignorance that's in them. The word for blindness has the idea of a condition of callousness, a progressive inability for our conscience to convince us of sin. You think about it in your own life. The little things that you let creep in that maybe you used to not allow. You look at churches in America that no longer uphold the Bible as its absolute authority. Those churches that no longer preach that sin is under judgment and that only Jesus Christ can give you forgiveness, where did they get there? It didn't happen overnight. It happened little bit by little bit by little bit. The same way that a callus builds up on your foot. You know, as a runner, I got some pretty doozy calluses. And me and my roommate, we used to take straight pins. And we would see who could stick the straight pin into their foot the farthest before you would feel anything. And uh, it was kind of a gross thing. That we, but we were weird, you know. We still are weird. Distance runners are just strange folks. And we would measure it, you know, and say, oh, well, that's pretty cool. But the bad thing about those calluses is sometimes you could get a wicked stone bruise underneath them. And you've got to carve those calluses off. You've got to get rid of those things so you're not desensitized, or whatever I'm trying to say. You know what I'm trying to say. And this is what Paul's describing. It's the habitual ignoring of warning signs. Maybe you're watching a television show and there's a, a scene on there that, that you know really you shouldn't be watching it, but you're really into the movie, and you say, okay, I'll just overlook it this time. And then the next time it gets a little bit worse. And the next time it gets a little bit worse. And that's what can happen to our hearts. And Paul is saying, I want to warn you, I want to solemnly testify that you don't walk like you used to be, where you are just desensitized to foul language, to foul attitudes, to... to, to promiscuity, whatever it is, we've got to guard it constantly. 
This ignorance that Paul speaks of is described by Peter about creation. It's described in Second Romans chapter 2 about the conscience. But in Peter says this, that man is willingly ignorant. He is willfully ignorant. He chooses to ignore his conscience. He chooses to ignore what he knows is right and wrong. He chooses to ignore the best and the only plausible explanation for this universe. An infant, all-powerful, loving God has designed this. You're without excuse. We are inescapable. I mean, every scientist knows that evolution is impossible. I'm watching is Genesis history for about the third time right now. I'm doing it on my exercise bike in the morning. I'm saying, yeah, yeah, this is good stuff. And the more I watch it, the more I'm in awe of what God has done, the complexity of life, the variety of species, sea life, plant life, microscopic life. It is so meticulously designed and given DNA that's woven around and I was watching it this week, and, and it's like a, this forward pattern of information that overlaps itself, and it overlaps itself because when it overlaps, it, it tells the, the messengers to do something different. And, oh, my word. And Peter says, for this, they are willingly ignorant, knowing that the worlds were framed by the word of God and the earth in the water and out of the water. It just does not happen by accident. And you get calloused over time. Romans 1.28 says, And even though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, then God gave them over to a debased mind. What is the result? The result is your beyond, beyond feeling. The implication is that a person was not always this way, but it's come to the point of complete apathy about spiritual things. I'm glad you all are here this morning in church. I'm glad we're here worshiping together. But what happens when you walk out the door? That's where it really meets the road, doesn't it? Is there an apathy on Monday morning when you get out of bed? Is there a spiritual apathy, apathy about your hunger and your thirst for the Word of God. That's what Paul is getting at. Don't be what you used to be. Be on fire for Christ. Take His living Word and ingest it into your life, into your soul. Jesus said this, He who continues in my Word is truly my disciple. The result is being past feeling. They gave themselves over. And you look at Jesus' ministry. Who was his most scathing rebukes to? His most scathing rebukes were the cities where he did most of his miracles. They had all the light and all the opportunity, and they did nothing with it. Judgment begins at the house of God, First Peter. It begins with us. Three things that I want us to pick up from this first paragraph. We're not what we used to be. One, how dangerous it is to continue under the influence of sin because of its numbing effects. Get that this morning. How dangerous 
It is to continue under the influence of sin because it has a numbing effect on your spiritual sensibilities. Number two, failure to surrender to spiritual influence of God's light causes us to lose even what we did have. You all have seen believers that are no longer in church, Christians who are no longer walking close with God. It doesn't happen overnight. It happens gradually. And you begin to lose the fire. You begin to lose the passion. So failure to surrender under the spiritual influence is to lose even what light you did have. You remember the parable of the talents? Jesus gave several talents, and the one guy said, I know that my judge is tough. I know he's a strict man. He, he, he gathers where he doesn't sow. And, and so I'm going to just take this one little gift that he gave me, and I'm going to bury it under the ground. I love what Jesus said. Jesus said, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. Every time you and I acknowledge what's right and wrong, God is going to judge us out of our own mouth. He says, take the talent that the one guy had and give it to the guy who has ten. The loss of spiritual light and spiritual usefulness when we don't surrender to the Holy Spirit's influence in our life. Number three, true Christian religion lies in the temper and discipline of the mind. It leads to our actions eventually. Jesus said it like this, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man, for what comes out of the man originates in his heart. Well, let's look at what God wants us to be. We're no longer those things, are we? We're no longer living in the futility of our mind. We're no longer being darkened because of the ignorance that's in us. We're no longer past feeling. God has given you a sensitive heart through the power and the transformation of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to do something with this. Paul gives us three simple imperative commands. There's a tension in here, and this tension is that every one of us knows what's right, and every one of us knows that I've got to submit to it. So the three imperatives, let's look at what Paul gives us here, verses 20 through 24. But you have not so learned Christ. Look at this. If indeed you have heard him. Look how Christ-centered this is. You didn't learn Christ. You didn't hear about Christ like this. You haven't been taught by this, by him in Christ as the truth is in Jesus. It's all gospel-centered, isn't it? Jesus is diametrically opposed to everything that you used to be. You're not who you used to be. The gospel came to you. The fullness of it all is in the person of Jesus Christ. I love that song that Samantha and Jordan sang during the offering. Giving it all to Christ to find out that Christ is all I need. That's sort of a paraphrase of their song, but what a message it is. You're not who you used to be because you have got everything in Christ. All the fullness of deity dwells bodily in the person of Jesus Christ, and this morning, if you have Jesus, you are complete in Him. You were created in the image of God, through sin, we have fallen, we are marred, we're bent towards sin. 
And at the end of this passage, it says the new man is created after the image of God. That has been restored, and now we need to do something with it. The only way to elevate man is through special revelation of the gospel. You can worship creation, you can have a a kind conscience, and you can be kind to people, but you know what? You're just as lost. There's only one answer for our heart's condition, and that is the special revelation of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sin, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. The only way is special revelation. They had learned and they had understood the power of Christ to change a life. To learn means to increase in one's understanding about the person and the mission of Jesus. Two, the truth is in Jesus. Right behavior starts from a proper understanding of who Jesus is. Indeed, you did hear rightly. He says in verse 21, if indeed, it's not that he's questioning it. Yes, you heard the gospel in its entirety. You heard the complete message, the simplicity of Jesus. You heard it. It changed you. It's totally sufficient to change lives. If the gospel was completely efficient and sufficient 2,000 years ago, it has not changed one bit. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The resources that he gives us are found in verses 22 through 24. Let's look at the commands. The first one, put off. The next one, be renewed. Verse 23 and verse 24, put on. These three imperatives to put off, to be renewed, and to put on. Be all that God has created you to be. This is practical. This is simple. This is something that you and I can do every single day. In fact, I think it's imperative that we do it every single hour sometimes. To put off. I'm doing this all the time. We have got to learn this spiritual discipline of putting off. We've got to learn the spiritual discipline of renewing the mind and putting on those three simple steps. They're so so clear to us. The Bible tells us that we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. To be what? The infinitive chosen to be, chosen to be holy, chosen to be blameless before Him in love, because He has predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ. This is what He has chosen us for. And this is what you and I need to work out in our everyday life. Put off is the first thing that we need to do. The old man is our former conduct. Well, we already looked at what our former conduct was. Our former conduct is futility in our minds. Anything that replaces the love of Jesus Christ as number one in your life is futility. It's an empty, vain idol, and it needs to be put off. Understanding darkened, alienated from the life of God, ignorant and blind, calloused because of the ever-deepening trends of sin. That is what we are to put off. The old man is the total sum of our former propensities, 
our former desires, our former attractions, our priorities. We're to put those things off. Our attitudes, they were under spiritual deception. They separate us from God, and we're to put them off. Second, we renew our, our minds by our spirit. It's not found by conforming to rules. Notice this. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul doesn't say, here's a whole list of rules. You follow those rules and you'll be renewed. No, this is a spiritual exercise. It's not found by conforming to standards. The renewal of the mind is found in spiritual surrender. You are not putting on, or you're not putting new wine into an old wineskin. It's all of you. You're putting new wine into a new wineskin. So both are preserved. You're not patching up an old garment with a new cloth because it just gets worse, doesn't it? It's total renewal. It's a new mind, new heart. New wine goes into a new outlook on life. Renewing of the mind is what Paul tells us to do in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that we might be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that we might test what is good, what is acceptable, what is holy with God, which is our only reasonable service for Him. To conform to outward rules and to a code of conduct is like washing the outside of a cup Jesus said to the Pharisee, and yet inward, you're full of greed and wickedness. Put on the new man, verse 24. Put on the new man, which was created according to God. This new man is created after the manner of God. In other words, he looks just like Jesus. That's who the new man is. We're told in the book of Romans to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The clothing of Jesus Christ. I don't know how you... I was looking this up this week, and the word to clothe, it's, it's a compound word, and it means to sink into clothing. I couldn't try to figure that out. What does that mean? To, and I, but I think it's like, like putting on this robe that's just totally seamless. And you lift up your arms and you just sort of just sink into this. It's a submission. It's a surrender. It's a putting on. It's a, Lord, I am dead to myself. I am crucified with Christ. I no longer live. I am being clothed with Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm putting on all of Jesus. To put on the new man is a spiritual discipline of meditating fully on the person of Jesus and the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Sink into the garments of Christ. Spiritual renewal of the soul is by the agent of the Holy Spirit, whereby he makes truth clear to us and convicts us to live by it. The new man, in essence, is the mind of Christ. He is created according to God. In other words, we have been reborn in the very image of Jesus. What was lost in the fall is one in Christ. I read this week by a British scholar who's long, long lived centuries ago. And this is what he wrote. Regeneration in Jesus is never separated 
from walking in his steps. To know Jesus is to be like Jesus. So I want to encourage you this week, be all that God has created you to be. You're not what you used to be. You're not under the futility of your mind. You're no longer in spiritual darkness. You no longer have a soul that's calloused and desensitized to sin. That's not who you are. You're sensitive to sin. Be quick to confess it. Don't put up barriers, put up guards in your life so you don't walk down those paths. Be keenly aware. Be spiritually sensitive. Don't be dull. Be vigilant to confess sin. Be actively engaging your mind with the things of the Spirit. Put off, renew, and put on. Be all that God has created you to be. Let's close with prayer. Father, God, I thank you for the power of the gospel. But you have not so learned Christ. If so be you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Lord, it is only Christ, it's only Christ that elevates us from what we used to be. <coughs> Lord, I pray this week that we would guard ourselves so that we don't walk, that we don't desire that we don't exchange truth for the lies of this world. God, I pray this week that we will be vigilant and we will be active to put off the old man, the total sum of all who he is, that our minds will be a school place of renewal, and God, that we will actively put on the mind of Jesus, the one that looks and talks and has the attitude of holy Christ. God, thank you that we can be what you intended us to be in Jesus' name.